Brian Zahn is a pastor and he's an author in Missouri. In the video, he said the church is an alternative society that by its very nature is intensely peaceable. I believe that's true. Let's consider today how we find peace. In the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, the resurrected Christ stands before the disciples. This is in chapter 24 of Luke's Gospel, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 36. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch them and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm currently watching a series about Jesus and his disciples called The Chosen. Um, I'm at the end of the first season. When it was first recommended to me, I was resistant because it's been my experience that the Bible doesn't translate very well to the screen. But I am loving the series The Chosen. The characters and their relationships are very good. Uh, the imagination of the writers is excellent. I do recommend it. Absent from the series so far is any resurrection scene. And I understand why the writers may have avoided a resurrection account. These accounts at the end of each of the four gospels are strange. Someone like Jesus, but not immediately recognizable, <laughs> suddenly appears and the disciples are startled, terrified, Luke's gospel says. Instead of boo, the one who seems like a ghost says, peace be with you, draws attention to his hands and his feet and then eats fish. This is all a little unsettling and it's kind of funny. But it's not entirely uncommon for a Bible story. Abraham and Sarah have divine visitors. They appear as if out of nowhere and they eat the food that Abraham and Sarah prepare for them, with them. In Judges chapter six, Gideon is visited by the angel of the Lord. Gideon prepares a meal for the divine messenger. He presents it. And the angel gives him instructions kind of like a magician. He says, take the meat and the unleavened bread and place it on this rock and pour out the broth. Then the angel touches the food with the tip of his staff and fire flares from the staff and the meat and the bread are consumed in the flame. Then like Harry Houdini or David Copperfield, the angel of the Lord disappears kind of scary. 
It's easy to understand why the disciples might be afraid. What's about to happen, I would wonder, if I were them. And yet this scene, the scene seems to have a limit on the mysterious. Other than the presence of the risen Christ, there is no flash. There is no magic. The good news is very familiar and it's very ordinary. Touch my hands and feet. Let's eat fish. Alexander John Shire writes that Luke's appearance of the resurrected Christ, that they are very simple scenes where everything occurs in ordinary life. And yet everything is divine and extraordinary at the same time. This messy mixture of the mundane and the holy, it must be true. Fear and joy together, doubt and wonder together. I experience these things together. Fear and doubt, joy and wonder, they're all present in this scene as the followers of Christ decipher the truth of the resurrection. During Kate Bowler's interview of Anne Lamott just a few months ago in March of this year, Lamont said, the only thing I really fear, the only thing I really fear is the death of the people I love the most. There are three or four people that I can't imagine living without. And then she admitted in the interview that her best friend's son had just died at the age of 23. She said, I'm a little bit mad at God. I'm not quite speaking to God about this yet. But the grace the grace that her house was filled with and the grace of my friend's son passing was incredible. And yet, yet she lost her son. My friend lost her child. This friend of Lamotte's has been sober 34 years and she said to her sponsor, I'm just terrified. And her sponsor said, what are you afraid of? And she said, I'm afraid that I can't do this. And the sponsor said, well, you're doing it. You're doing it. You know, that must have been what the Christ was trying to communicate to the disciples, at least in part. You're doing the hard work of life after a tremendous loss. Stay here, the resurrected Christ says to the disciples. Stay here until you are clothed with power from on high. Those are his final words in chapter 24 of Luke's gospel. His opening words to the disciples are, peace be with you. Peace be with you. We still say this to one another in worship each week. It was a traditional greeting in the first century, a greeting of peace. Luke's gospel tells us in the 10th chapter that Jesus' instructions to his disciples when they entered houses they were visiting was to say, peace be in this house. Peace be to this house. And I recently learned from Old Testament scholar Matt Schlem that how's your shalom? How is your peace? Was a common inquiry. It was a good question to ask a friend in the first century instead of how are you? 
How's your shalom? How's your peace mattered? And the question did not ask, is everything in your life settled? The question did not ask, is everything perfect? Are you without conflict? Who is? Very few of us. And if you are, it won't be for very long. The Hebrew understanding of peace, the Hebrew understanding of shalom is well-being. It's a sense of well-being. It's a sense of wholeness in spite of circumstances, in spite of strife, in spite of doubt, in spite of fear that I might have within me or around me. Jesus' disciples are afraid and they are doubtful. And the resurrected Christ doesn't just gloss over this. He doesn't say to them, get over it. Instead, he says about their fear, about their doubt, he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Shalom is yours. He then says to his disciples, look at my hands. Look at my hands and look at my feet. And I suspect this is about identification. Look at my hands and my feet and you'll see who I am. But it's a strange way. It's a strange way, a strange place to look for recognition, right? I'm more inclined to look at a person's face. I'm more inclined to look at their eyes to see who they are. Barbara Brown Taylor once preached, hands and feet are not the very first things that we notice about one another, but they are very telling of who we are. I don't wear very many rings these days because my fingers swell up. It's either because of my age or my diet, or maybe it's some of both. I keep my nails really short on my hands because I like to dig in the dirt and it just makes my hands easier to clean. And um, on my right hand, my fingers are a little bit crooked at the tips because of all the years that I sat in classrooms holding a pen or a pencil and writing. In her sermon on this passage, Taylor tells a story about a friend. A friend who lost his father quite suddenly to a heart attack. There was no goodbye, there was no I love you, no getting used to the idea. The first chance that he got to see his father was at the funeral home. And he walked right up to the casket and he took one of his father's hands in his own. His father had been an auto mechanic. He took great pride in his garage and in his work. He kept a clean shop. And before he went home every night, he scrubbed his hands with a boar's bristle brush to wash away the grime of the day. But as careful as he was, his hands were still stained in places. And it was exactly those stains that his son was looking for. The motor oil in the fingerprints and under the cuticles. He smiled at his pastor and he said to her, it's him. It's really him. They tried to clean him up, but they couldn't. Look at my hands and feet, Jesus said. They must have seen evidence of the work that he did on those hands and on those feet, the miles that he'd walked, along with the wounds and the bruises of crucifixion. This week, one night, one evening this week, my family ventured out for dinner 
and we landed at an unfamiliar restaurant, a place we hadn't been before. We were greeted by the host, seated at a table, handed menus, and then I glanced up, and there was a man waving at me. That's strange. I don't know anyone here, I thought. There was no one behind me, though, and even though I didn't have on my glasses, I could tell the man was saying, hi, Dinah. Hi, Dinah. (laughs) So I smiled rather sheepishly, and I waved back. (laughs) When his wife, who was sitting across from him and closer to me, but she had her back to me, when she turned around to wave and I saw her face, I knew exactly who I was dealing with. Friends from church, but friends from church 25 years ago. They're not just friends, though. I've long admired their work, their volunteer hours, their care for those who are sick or in pain, the bread baked, the encouragement to young preachers. (laughs) Those two people I love. Their faces are familiar, but honestly, it's the work of their hands, the work of their feet that are closest to my heart. How do we find peace? How do we find well-being? It has to be the sacrificial work that we do together. The ways we give of ourselves for others, as Christ modeled so well for us. Bonhoeffer wrote, Christ bids us to come and die, not come in triumph. And we are also to be reminded that there is shalom, there is peace to be found in a meal, in nourishing oneself, peace at the table. Surely shalom is on the menu anytime that we eat together, anytime we break bread together. At the end of John's gospel, there is a similar resurrection scene to the one we read this morning. In John's gospel, Jesus meets his disciples on the beach where they are fishing. Have you any fish? He asks. When they say no, he tells them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. The nets become so heavy with fish that they practically sink the boat. And then the resurrected Christ and the disciples eat fish together on the beach. In her book, Inspired, Rachel Held Evans said that she once met a young mother who claimed that this was her very favorite story in the entire Bible, this story. Ah, yes, Rachel Held Evans said, the disciples catch in John's gospel 153 fish, which in rabbinic numerology signifies completion. And the net was full, but not torn, the scripture says. The net was full, but not torn, which might symbolize the church holding a great diversity together in unity. Oh, I wasn't thinking of all that, the young mother said. I just like the idea of God frying up fish for breakfast. Do you ever get a little taste of heaven? Do you ever get a little peace? We are certainly meant to. I tasted it on Friday night. 
a simple meal at my kitchen table and conversation that I really overheard. Didn't take part in because I knew nothing about college football this season. (laughs) And then walking away from the dirty dishes, I finished sermon writing on my back porch at sunset in the light of citronella candles. Wholeness is ours when we are serving. Well-being is ours when we are sharing a meal with anyone else. My sacrifices are mostly small. And my fellowship these days, it's very precious. But yesterday I was reminded of its importance as I watched the 9-11 memorial on television. It was a long list of names recited, a long list of faces recalled, but it was the power, the holiness at the end of each of the cluster of names where loved ones spoke in very personal terms about the service of the departed and about their fellowship with those loved ones. The sacrifice, the fellowship, this is how we truly know one another. And it's how we know the peace of Christ. Will you pray with me? God of mercy and peace, We each desire a sense of well-being in our hearts and in our world. Would you allow us to serve one another, not blame each other? Allow us to focus not on the pain of the past or the fear of the future, but instead on the gift of each moment. We want to share the things that nourish life so that gratitude rises in every communal space. We long, Lord Jesus, for the joy and the love and the peace that you provide. And we know that you will provide it for us. Amen.